Days. You're listening to the news on RTHK. You never give me your money. You only give me your funny paper. And in the middle of negotiations, you break Ah, good morning on a Monday. This is Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Yeah, we'll be looking at the money and the funny paper all throughout the program this morning. We take a look at the chatter also on this Monday as the week gets underway. President Xi says China needs to adapt to its own new normal of slower growth. Uh, The BPOC indicates no new stimulus. Another mainland e-commerce company decides to list in the United States. And the U.S. Treasury Secretary is in Beijing this week to push for further economic reforms in China. One of the issues that I'm going to bring to them is if your policy says that the exchange rate can go up and down, you need to have market signals determining uh, whether it's going up or down. And that's that's a serious conversation because it has to do with the competitiveness of U.S. goods uh, in China. So we'll get more chatter from Mr. Liu a bit later and some chatter about QE from Fed Dallas President Richard Fisher. Barring some destabilizing development in the real economy that comes out of left field. I don't see anything right now. I personally will continue to vote for the pace of reduction we've undertaken, reducing by $10 billion per meeting our purchases and then eliminating them entirely in October with a final reduction of $15 billion. He hates quantitative easing, and he wants to see the back of it as soon as possible. He's still worried about inflation. Further commentary from Richard Fisher in a few short minutes, and he's always uh, a bit on the colorful side. Our guests this morning include Alex Wong of Ample Capital on the U.S., China, and Hong Kong economic and financial relationships. We'll also be speaking with our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, and we'll see how European football clubs are running afoul of fair play rules and paying a a hefty price in the form of fines. We'll have uh, our Denny Hicks uh, from AFP, our sports correspondent here in the program, joining us uh, unusually on a Monday. We usually talk to Danny on a Friday. That will be coming up towards the end of this program. We'll take a look at markets for you in Asia in just a few minutes. But first, these comments from the Treasury Secretary, Jack Liu. He says market access, economic reform and exchange rate policy will all be at the top of his list in China. My focus in China from a U.S. perspective is very clear. We want there to be a market that U.S. firms, financial firms, and manufacturing firms, services firms can compete in. And we bring that to the table every time we engage with China. We also look at exchange rates. Exchange rates is an extremely important issue. Uh, you know, we have encouraged them. Are they living up to their currency commitments? Well, you know, they have made some moves that are consistent with uh, with moving towards more market-determined rates. They widen their trading band, but we've seen some very negative movement in the exchange rate in recent months. So the RMB is at 6.158 to the U.S. dollar, but it has been trading uh, over 6.20 for much of the past couple of weeks. The yuan has depreciated about 3% or so from its peak. Mr. Liu acknowledges the challenges that leaders face in China, but he says the long term should take precedence over the short term. They obviously have to worry about their short-term economic uh, uh, situation. Uh, We all have to balance short and long-term decisions we make. What they can't do is treat the long-term reforms as something that they can just put off. 
Uh, President Xi said over the weekend that the nation needs to adapt to a new normal for the pace of growth. He said China needs to stay cool-minded through the current slowdown. And he said that China's growth fundamentals haven't changed. The country is still, he says, in a significant period of strategic opportunity. Back to Jack Liu. He says it's important for China to create a level playing field for foreign companies to compete in China. They have to make the right policy decisions. Um, the challenge they have is the trade-offs between reform and, and short-term growth, and I'm certainly going to encourage them to stay on a reform agenda. They need to open their markets. They need to have a level playing field so that there's market-determined prices and uh, there can be competition between domestic and international goods and services. U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew will have his meetings early this week. The Nikkei is down 24 points in early trading now at 14,174. In Australia, the ASX 200 is down a couple of points. In Seoul, the Kospi is down a few points as well, down four at 1951. Let's take a look at currencies. We mentioned the uh, renminbi, uh, the fixing rate 615.8, but again, trading around 622 or so. Uh, the pound up against the Hong Kong dollar, 1306. The dollar yen is 101.87. And the euro is changing hands now at 1.376 U.S. dollars. I'd like to welcome to the program now our first guest for the morning, and that is Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Brian. Good to have you uh, on the program. The 3% depreciation of the renminbi does seem to have gotten their attention in the White House. That's for sure. That's for sure. I think that uh, this is going to be a fascinating discussion in Beijing because, uh, you know, Jack Lew on the one hand, Brian, is saying the same thing that uh, all his predecessors say, you know, market exchange rate, uh, let's uh, open up and uh, let's do more trade. But at the same time, I think the Chinese have got some real strong words from Mr. Lew. And, uh, the, you know, sure, the, 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 the short-term depreciation of the, of the uh, renminbi is going to be a subject. But the Chinese will come right back at the Americans and say, hold it, what about the International Monetary Fund? What about that money that you promised and you don't uh, do anything holding us back from any kind of increased uh, representation and power? And uh, I think also Mr. Liu is going to beg the Chinese not to bail out the Russians while the sanctions from Europe and America are hopefully going to bite in Mr. Liu's uh, expectation yeah. and he doesn't want that to be short-circuited by the chinese let's get that to that in just a moment but uh, still on the uh, depreciation of the renminbi do you think that i mean is the mood such that this is just a reminder or is it a strong new push that the renminbi has to uh, appreciate no i think it's a reminder uh, if you go back a couple of years from the U.S. perspective, there was much more concern about the renminbi dollar exchange rate. And, of course, at that time, the renminbi was rising. Uh, if you go back four years, there was real concern. I think now the fact that it's depreciated caught many Americans just off guard, and they don't want to lose any kind of uh, competitive uh, advantage that had been gained from the yuan appreciation. So I don't think that is a big issue for the Americans. I think Mr. Liu probably has other things that he would like to talk about. Sure. So it'll be just a reminder on the renminbi. Uh, they'll be talking, obviously, about market access. That seems to be equally important. Now, you highlighted the uh, the Russian involvement. Uh, he was asked in this interview with Bloomberg's Al Hunt uh, about Russia's push to cozy up with with China, uh, that particularly in the face of, of uh, sanctions from the West. Let's hear this comment and then we'll have a chat uh, in just a moment. 
We have been uh, making the case uh, consistently wherever we go uh, that um, that it is unacceptable for Russia to violate Ukraine's sovereignty and that when we take actions and other countries in the world take action, um, it is important for there not to be backfill. Uh, we would not be happy then if the Chinese were to well, it, backfill. It, it, it is an argument I make uh, wherever I go. And you'll make it in Beijing. Well, it, it, uh, you know, uh, we're, 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 we're going to talk about a whole range of topics. So he hems and ahs there. It doesn't sound to me like he really, you know, wanted to commit to any kind of hard stance on Russia with China. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right, Brian. I mean, Jack Lew is a very polished survivor at high levels of government. He's a uh, money man, and I think he is not revealing what he really wants to talk about. Obviously, he's concerned about Chinese money and the fungibility of money. Look what's happening right now in Kazakhstan with this Asian Development Bank meeting and the way that Chinese are moving to sort of preempt Japanese participation. Well, so much of that in a former Soviet republic is going to displace perhaps Russian money and bail out the Russians because both countries, China and Russia, want to be friendly with oil-rich Kazakhstan. So I think this is going to be a fascinating and very important bilateral between the Chinese and the Americans. And there's a lot of hypocrisy uh, to go around, uh, really, from all sides. There sure is. Yeah. Okay, so um, wanted to talk a little bit about the U.S. economy, and I had these comments from uh, Richard Fisher, so we'll bring those in right now. Um, he talked tough about the taper. He hates the taper, viscerally can't stand the uh, – not the taper. He hates the quantitative easing. He wants to uh, taper the purchases by the Fed all the way through and do $15 billion and be done in October. And I will play this comment here about how – He's still worried about inflation. I was not for this program. It's popularly known as QE3. I doubted its efficacy and was convinced that the financial system already had sufficient liquidity to finance recovery without providing tender for future inflation. So that's Richard Fisher, the Dallas Fed president. Uh, That uh, program of tapering the bond buying really hasn't got all that much news of late. It seems like uh, that was last year's story, Barry, and that we've had so many other things on our mind this year. Well, I think that is true. But also, the Fed has very successfully signaled to the market that they're going to do this uh, $10 billion taper each meeting. And, you know, Mr. Fisher is a minority voice. I think it's very healthy that he is raising that objective, but uh, he does not have anything close to a majority view on his position within the open market committee of the Fed. You're right. I don't think it gets as much attention as it did, but clearly... You and I, Brian, would probably agree that he's not right, Mr. Fisher, to say that uh, without QE there would be all this money that would be flowing into the economy. The fact is it's still hard to get a loan, and there's an absence of liquidity in many sectors of the United States economy. Do you think that the reason the housing market has, has slowed down is that it is so difficult to get a loan? Yes, I do. I think that's the big one. The other is that the the winter has been hard. You know, look, the housing is a conundrum. It really is. We're now in peak spring, which is typically peak buying season for new homes. I think that uh, consumer confidence has risen. Uh, Interest rates are still low by historical standards, and yet we don't get a real jolt upward in housing. In fact, it's weaker than it was a year ago. We'll get housing data later this week, but I think it is the inability of many to get a loan 
and hopefully that is going to improve shortly. Certainly Mrs. Yellen thinks so, and I think many economists are puzzled and expect housing to recover quickly. You see, the prices went up last year, and so did interest rates at the end of the year. They've slipped back a little bit now, but uh, it seemed like it dampened the mood. And then we see a report like we saw last week where something like 43% of purchases of new homes in some areas were done with all cash. That tells you that it's investors, maybe private equity firms like Blackstone, and that it's not you know, real end user buying. And that makes you think that maybe the recovery that we thought was so great last year wasn't all that great. Well, that's true. That's true. But the fact that private equity and investors are coming into markets that were depressed, like Florida and Las Vegas, Southern California, certainly uh, Detroit and in the Middle West, that's all a good sign because, uh, after all, they've committed money and they want to flip that property very quickly. So I do expect that there will be a significant recovery in housing over the next six months. But the laggard, no one expected it to be a laggard like it turned out to be. Okay, so just as we go out, I know you've been on the more positive positive side. Uh, You've been more optimistic about uh, the uh, second half of this year than some. Uh, Can you outline why you think the U.S. economy will be on pretty solid ground in the second half of the year? Well, you know, I'll start with uh, Warren Buffett's assessment that business has never had it so good. (laughs) Now, most business people would not agree with that. But I think that Warren Buffett, as a successful investor, knows something about that subject. So, you know, there's all these complaints on the right about the tax structure and, you know, the regulation. But I think I'm optimistic because housing is going to recover. Autos is going like gangbusters, whether it's Detroit or imports. That is good. Consumer confidence is rising. I think there's a kind of latent strength in the economy. Uh, fuel prices have remained pretty low. Uh, they, they certainly haven't peaked or, or caused a lot of distress for people. I just think that it's going to be a gradual improvement. And I, if I sound like Mrs. Yellen, that's because I watched her testimony this week, and I, I agree with her. Yeah, I just uh, put one further comment out to you that the demographics and a lot of these structural problems seem to persist. Uh, A lot of the jobs have gone. The jobs that are being created uh, seem to be of lower quality, lesser quality. People complain about the kinds kinds of jobs they have. We all know the story, robotics, technology, globalization. Uh, There are a lot of reasons for it. Now with the baby boomers retiring, um, you know, and they'll be selling their homes to finance their retirement. Is that not a big concern for you? Sure it is. And I do agree with you. I mean, we have to be very concerned in the United States about the inability of wages to rise and the fact that middle and lower middle class people are struggling. There's no question about that. The number of people who don't have any kind of private retirement savings is alarming. The fact that there is no upward pressure on wages is is troublesome. Yeah. So a lot of people really are still suffering from the new normal that's now five years old. All right, so I agree with you. All right, Barry. Um, yeah, that's why we probably won't see interest rates going up too fast too soon. And while we don't see um, you know prices going up a lot, there's not a lot of inflation and there's not a lot of hiring. It's just sort of a grind. But uh, lots more to talk about. We'll talk about it uh, some more next Monday when we speak again. Thank you. Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. <laughs> Say good morning to Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management, Ample Capital. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. 
Yeah, so there's lots to talk about with China, Hong Kong, mm. too. And with Jack Liu going there, we'll get a lot of the uh, politics uh, stroke economic discussions uh, coming up. Um, we have um, we have really a, a very difficult environment here uh, in terms of investing. Uh, it has persisted for a long time. Do you think it continues? Uh, yes, I think uh, probably we would see um, this downturn to continue for a while. We do not have uh, much catalyst coming out. Um, Although the index ha- ha- has not fallen too much, actually, uh, if you look at individual stocks, actually the the decline has been quite huge, and uh, the the and the and the breadth of this decline actually is is, is quite widespread. So um, the sentiment has been quite bad, and I think uh, we probably may see some stabilizations around here, but uh, we would not have too much momentum going up as well. Yes, uh, this slower growth that the president was talking about over the weekend, uh, mm-hmm. it's something that everybody sees and hears and feels, I suppose. Uh, is he basically just trying to say, get used to it, we're, we're going to move down to a much more reasonable level of growth? Oh, yes. I think people expect China's uh, growth to slow down uh, already. And I, um, probably we would not uh, see too much recovery in the, in the short term because our, right now we still have to clean out the excesses um, and also quite a lot of problems in China in the meantime. So uh, we, had, we had very weak set of accommodators coming out in recent months and uh, we are not likely to see recovery soon. So uh, that's why we would not have too much uh, upside from here. I have a few friends that really like to talk about um, the question of when will the China stock market turn around and and Hong Kong, and they cite uh, the very, very inexpensive levels of these stocks uh, priced at um, Mm. 0.6 price to book uh, or uh, up to about one, which is traditionally pretty cheap. PE is down around four, five, six. Uh, I guess it's an open question. Uh, When do investors finally kind of step in and say, you know, they're cheap enough to represent value and we'll buy? I think we need to see some uh, earnings momentum to come back. Uh, they are cheap because uh, people see risk in their earnings. So that's why they are so cheap and people are not willing to push it up. Uh, so if the earnings continue to fall, then you know the PEs will just continue to fall. Uh, they may not even fall, but the, but the earnings going down means the stock price won't go up. Yeah, right. That's true. The people are discounting some kind of uh, uh, risk in, in the earnings. So that's why we need to see some earnings momentum to get up. I think uh, this year is still too early. It's probably we would see a uh, gradual change in momentum next year. But right now, I think uh, this year probably we, would, we will not go, go, to up, to go much uh, higher from, uh, from this level. So what are you telling clients to do? Uh, right now, uh, we are still um, focusing on, 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 a few, uh, on the fuel sector, which may have uh, some upside. Of course, they have been hammered down uh, uh, recently because of profit, profit taking. But I think the technology, uh, Macau and, and those are consumer names in China, eventually, I think that they are still uh, providing growth uh, in this kind of economy. So later on, I think that they probably will resume strength. But uh, in so the this meantime... So this is an interesting question. You, you, you think that the stocks that have sold down 30 or 40 percent that were the high flyers that they will bounce back sooner than the um, low value stocks in china the state-owned corps will bounce back oh right yes that's true i think uh, because you know the reason i ask you that is some people yeah. say these high flyers you know once they once this happens you know they don't just immediately rebound they go down and they stay down for a long time 
I think they would consolidate for a long time this time. I think they probably will consolidate for for uh, two three months at least. Um, That's a short time. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard uh, the uh, average is ten months. Uh, and then if you look at Japan and you look at the Nasdaq, it took fifteen years. Oh no, I think they are they are not like uh, the uh, bubble blast there. I think because, uh, because they do have earnings. Yeah, they do have earnings and momentum actually is quite strong. And so, and, what are the best ones? Mm, I think uh, we 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 probably in the next one we would only have a few names coming up because uh, um, three to six months in in the real world actually uh, people we, we could tell which would be the winner in the, within the sector so um, especially technology so probably Tencent remains the one and uh, I still like Kingsoft actually yeah. We do see some new issues coming. Uh, China CNR, a uh, railway mm. stock coming today, uh, selling 1.82 billion eight shares in a global offering. Uh, is that interesting at all? Um, it is interesting because uh, the sentiment is so bad, so the, it probably would value um, at the lower end. And uh, I think uh, it was pr- it's priced between five and six dollars twenty a share. So you think that um, when it gets the final price, it'll be closer to the lower end? Yeah, right. Uh, because the appetite for IPO is very weak. Uh, we we probably would have very weak responses from the retail market and institutions. I think they would like to limit their risk, even though we are stabilizing. Actually, the people do not want to uh, increase their exposure too much, and so uh, they probably would put an order at uh, near the lower end. Another item out over the weekend: JD Power, another e-commerce firm listing in the United States. Is that a blow to Hong Kong? Uh, that I think. Uh, Probably is already a trend. Uh, they are going over to the um, Nasdaq, so to do the U.S. I think that that is a that is something which Hong Kong probably may may need to think about it because uh, Hong Kong actually is a market which uh, are not uh, uh, knowledge based. Actually, we had too many asset based companies in this in this, and the culture actually is, is a bias towards the asset based uh, companies. So we probably need to uh, educate the, the investment community a little bit uh, to to in order to improve our structure in the market. Yeah, I said JD Power. I meant JD.com. But anyway, mm. uh, e-commerce, uh, I think um, that'll be kind of interesting because Tencent uh, bought a portion of that. Looks like a big battle between uh, Alibaba and JD.com. So anyway, thank you very much, Alex. Uh, thank Thanks for joining us here. We'll um, have to move on now, but uh, we'll talk again soon. Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. Danny Hicks, editor of Sports Direct at AFP, joins us for a look at sport. Danny, good morning. Good morning, Brian. So you want to revisit football's fair play rules. Yes. Which are back in the news. We've um, talked about this before, of course, haven't we, when, yeah. they, when they were came out and, and started to be imposed. And, uh, well, the first real big test of them, and Manchester City uh, just won the Premier League title last night. Congratulations to them. Yep. But uh, their celebrations uh, may just have the gloss taken off them a little bit this Why? morning because... Uh, UEFA are widely expected to punish them for being in breach of these fair play rules which are, have come into effect this season. And the reason being that they've uh, exceeded the permitted losses uh, on the balance sheet, which were uh, 45 million euros for the year 2011-12, and uh, they've not only exceeded them, I mean, they've uh, 
they've, <laughs> they've annihilated them. Sort of 160 million euro losses for that for that year. And uh, these fines can be pretty big. Uh, PSG ooh. fined 50 million euros. Yeah, That's well, a 50, ton of money. 50 million is is the report. Uh, I've seen reports of up to 60 million, and uh, Manchester City are in line for something similar. But it's not really the money that's the problem uh, in terms of these fines. It's the question of uh, what sanctions are going to be imposed on the clubs in terms of their playing staff for the coming season and, and particularly with looking ahead to the European Champions League next year. Uh, at the moment, clubs are allowed a, a squad of 25 players that they can register to play in the Champions League in the group stages at the start of the year. Um, there are talks that, uh, or there are reports that UEFA are going to restrict Manchester City to maybe 21 players and uh, ask them to play with a reduced squad as a punishment for breaking these rules. And this could be quite significant. In the, then, really, the next level for them is to do well in the Champions League. They've now won the, the Premier League two out of the last three seasons, uh, and. Champions League is where they want to go, and this could really harm their ambitions. What are people saying would be the best ways to try to level the playing field? Well, uh, people are saying that this is a, this is a good attempt by UEFA to level the playing fields, but without any, if, if they don't really show any teeth in terms of the punishments, then uh, uh, then it's all a bit of a waste of time. Now, Arsene Wenger, the Arsenal manager, has, has come out very, very strongly over the weekend on this and said, "Well, if these." If the rules of the competition are that you can only make these amount of losses and you break the rules, you should be kicked out of the competition. He's been very strong on it and he's saying, uh, you know, and he's even talking about some sort of spending cap where why don't we just give all the clubs £100 million uh, a year, for example, to spend and say, get on with it. And uh, then you've got, you have got a level playing field and the, and the best club or the best managed club will, will, will rise to the top. If, I don't if think they did that's that. going to happen. Well, if okay, maybe it doesn't happen, but if it did happen, who would be the most affected? Well, uh, undoubtedly teams such as Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain, and Manchester City bankrolled, of course, by the Abu Dhabi government, uh, Paris Saint-Germain bankrolled by the Qatar government, these oil-rich, uh, you know, 50, 60 million euros is a drop in the ocean to these guys who've got, you know, trillion-dollar sovereign wealth funds sitting around, sloshing around at home. Um, however, if they make sure that the, uh, the 60 million or 50 million euro fines uh, appear on the balance sheet rather than just come out of the, uh, their Arab benefactors' pockets, then uh, maybe that will have an effect. But, uh, you know, this is the first real test of UEFA's fair play rules, and they've got to be seen to imposing them, otherwise the whole system is going to fall apart. It's kind of interesting that um, fines are levied for recording losses on the balance sheet. Mm. Yeah, and exactly why is that? Because they don't want uh, teams to get in too much trouble because that would have a, a bad impact on the league. Yeah, uh, you know, they've got into. You can argue that they've won the Premier League, they've got into the Champions League. That is going to generate somewhere between 30 and 50 million euros in revenue just in TV money alone over the next season. So, really, you know, they're giving with one hand and taking sure. away with the other, it's not going to really affect these clubs. So, I think this is where the playing restrictions are going to have to come in and, and some sort of. Uh, uh, some sort of punishment that's really going to affect the clubs is going to have to be imposed. We're going to find out in the next few days. Yeah, I mean, just from a, a sort of theoretical position, uh, what's the thinking behind um, facing sanctions because you have losses on your balance sheet? Well, the thinking being that uh, uh, that they, they're trying to do away with this, this scenario where you can just have a rich uh, benefactor, be it okay. a, a Russian oligarch or a, or, a, or a Middle Eastern government that just got bottomless pockets and okay. can just throw money at a football club. Yeah. You've got to balance the books. So it's it a fair playing field for everyone. Yeah. Okay, Danny, thanks very much uh, for being with us here on a Monday morning. Danny Hicks, editor of Sports Direct at AFP. 
Markets are mixed at the moment. The Nikkei is a little bit higher, a tenth of a percent. In Australia, a fifth of a percent gains there. And in fact, Seoul has just turned positive too. So interesting day. Um, oil prices, 108.17. That's a bump up. Gold, a bump down, 1,283 an ounce. The weather today, wow, a lot of rain. Occasional rain with a few squally thunderstorms. The rain easing off later. And the outlook, the weather should uh, improve in the next few days. 24 the maximum today. Thanks for joining us here on Radio 3. The latest news with Etienne Lamy-Smith. In the Donetsk and Luhansk regions of eastern Ukraine, people have voted in unofficial referendums organized by pro-Russian groups. A short time after the voting ended, the chair of the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic Election Commission announced that 89% of people had voted in favor of self-determination for the region. There are no results yet for the Luhansk area so far. The BBC's Daniel Sanford has more. It was clearly an amateur operation. This was not done in any kind of official capacity. They weren't using the normal official polling stations here in the Donetsk region and the Lugansk region. The ballot papers were not as perhaps tamper-proof as you might have wanted. And we saw, for example, people managing to vote more than once in, in a couple of places. And I think although there are claims that the turnout was as high as three-quarters of all the people in the Donetsk region, for example, I don't think the turnout out was that high. There were big numbers of people on the streets and that can't be ignored but I don't think that it's likely that three quarters of all the registered voters here uh, did manage to vote. Premier Li Keqiang wrapped up his first official trip to Africa last week offering